Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. The, um, the scripture, th- this, this message, by the way, is sort of a part two to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. I talked about those four uh, those four filters that we run through when we think God's speaking, we kind of check it through those filters. If you remember that, it was, it, was a, it was a good little message there. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. But this is sort of part two, uh, building on that idea. But let me just explain this really quick. Some of you, maybe you're new to this idea of God's will. What does that mean, God's will? Um, the scripture refers to the plan of God, both for all of humanity, like universe, the universal plan of God for humanity, but also the individual plan that he has for our lives. It refers to that plan as his will. His will is simply his preference. It's what he desires. It's what he wants. We have a will, but how many know that God has a will as well for our life? And sometimes those things, they're just not in alignment. Sometimes like our way is not his way. And sometimes our will is not his will. As a matter of fact, the Bible says his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So, so he has this higher level. I love that, that picture because he has this, this, this bird's eye view of humanity, of, of our life, of everything. And from his perspective, he makes his plans. A lot of times we make our plans about our life and that's why we get off track and get really messed up because we don't have the right perspective. But because God sees things from a higher perspective, he has a better plan for your life and my life. And so the scripture talks about this throughout, uh, throughout the Bible uh, about God's will, how we should seek his will and his plan and his preference for our life. Now, uh, here's the thing. The reason I wanted to talk about this as we conclude is that every year we do this, this Easter, uh, around Easter, we do this spiritual survey and we say, hey, what would you like to hear us talk about? Uh, from time to time, we, 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 we want to respond to the questions that you have. I mean, we do our best to pray and say, God, what do you want to say into our church? But every once in a while we say, well, what would you like to hear God say uh, in these particular topics? And so you guys, usually it's the the same top three or four things that you guys respond. But the number one thing that, that you guys always say you want to hear about is, I just want to know, like, what is God's will for my life? Like, like what's God's plan? Like, I want to know what his plan is. And here's, here's the thing. I think we'd all agree about this, that our life, every one of us, our life is the sum total of the decisions we've made up until this point. Decisions about who to marry, should I have kids, should I not, should we move there, should I accept this job, should I quit this job, should I start this business, should I go back to school? Um, we're all here today, basically, um, and, and, and we, we look at our life, the landscape of our life, and it's essentially is this, our life is just the sum total of the decisions that we've made up to this point. And I, I do think that oftentimes we try to blame where we are in life on other people, our parents, our boss, the government, <laughs> uh, And there are definitely factors, hear my heart, there are definitely factors that affect where we find ourselves today. But the truth is, most of where you're at today and where I am at today is because of either the good decisions or the bad decisions that we have made up until this point. Because our life is the sum total of the decisions that we've made. Um, I've also discovered this, is that a lot of people carry around... um, baggage of regret because of those decisions. Like, I don't know if this is you or not, but when I look back at, at, the, at, at the, the story of my life, like this narrative, there are pages that I would like to rip out of that book, right? There are some chapters that you may want to rip out of your book, okay? <laughs> it's called regret. And, and we, we, we carry that, why? 
because of the decisions we've made. We, we carry that. And that's what happens when you make a bad decision where you thought it was a good, the right decision or the right, you know, the right move or the right plan. Or the, you know, it was like, I, I think this is the right way. And you make a bad decision. You look back and you just regret it. And I just don't believe that that's God's plan for our life. I don't think he wants us to live our life. When we get to the end of it, we're left with this mound of regret because of the decisions that we've made. It's not his desire. Ironically, though, I was thinking about this. Ironically, regret over poor decisions can sometimes lead us to being more open to God and his plan for our lives because we just get tired of screwing things up by running our own plan. So it actually can work for you in the long run, in the bigger scheme. So here's kind of the tension. Wouldn't it be nice to know what God's plan is for your life? Wouldn't it be nice to know like what is his will and every decision, every crossroad, every junction that you come to, you can, you can just pray and say, God, what do you want here? And he would speak clearly to you and that you could make decisions accordingly, accordingly because his desire is that you follow his will and his way because on the other side of it, there is a blessing attached to that. There is a breakthrough attached to that. There is peace attached to that. That's his desire. And, and wouldn't it be nice to know like, this is exactly what God's will is in this particular area. And the good news is this, is God, he does have a plan for your life, every one of you. God, he has a will and a preference and a desire for your life, every one of you. And he, watch this, he wants you to know what he wants you to do more than you even want to know it. That is his desire. His desire is actually to be your Psalm 23 good shepherd that leads you and guides you. He wants that for your life. He wants that for my life. The challenge is how do we know if this is really his plan? If it's really his will, his guidance and leading or just the pizza we ate the night before? Is it that or is it like, what is it? Like, how do we know if it's really, really God? Uh, the good news is that although there's probably lots of confusion around this topic, I mean, you can have this person tell you, this is what I think God would want you to do. And this is what I think God would want you. You can have all these different people and you can find yourself in this muddy situation where you can't figure it out. I don't, I don't believe that, that God wants you to live a confused life. I think he wants you to live a life of peace, following his voice, wherever he may lead you and guide you in your life. And what you'll see is this, is God's plan for our life is just a small part of a bigger plan that he's up to in the world today. And he wants you to be a part of that bigger plan. So we're going to break it down for just a few moments. And I think this is going to help you and I as it relates to discerning and understanding his will. And let me just pause and say this. There is, while recipes work well for baking cookies and formulas work well for solving equations and problems, they're, they're worthless when it comes to, to discovering God's will. There is no recipe that, that, that you can work. There's no formula that you can work. Um, I, I believe that there are principles that we can learn from scripture and through those principles, it can help us to better understand God's will for our life. And I, I want to share this with you that there's, when you begin to look from Genesis to Revelations, there's the will of God is broken down really in these three different categories. Uh, the first one is the providential will of God. Write that down, the providential will of God. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church tradition where they call this the sovereign will of God. Uh, but, but, but I like to call it the providential. It's the, the, this divinely orchestrated plan. It's the providential will of God. Uh, and I'm going to explain what that is in a moment. Uh, so the providential will is the first one. Uh, the second one is the moral will of God. The moral will of God. I'll break that down in a minute. And the third one is the personal will of God. And that's the one that we'll, we'll spend the most amount of time on. But I want to break down these first ones for you. The providential will of God. Here's what it is. They'll put it on the screen. The providential will of God refers to those things God is going to do regardless. 
Like it's not contingent upon our prayers. Like no one can stop him. No one can thwart his plan. No, no, no one can like derail him from this. This is the providence of God. Uh, let me show it to you in scripture. Galatians chapter four, verse four and verse five in the New uh, International Version says this. But when the set time, the set time, the time has already been set for this. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to, re to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, God was going to send Jesus no matter what. Like no one had to pray him into the, the scene. No one could ever stop him from coming. It was already set according to the will of God, the providential will of God. It was already set for not just that he would come, but the exact time that he would come. It was already set. No one could stop it. No one could derail that plan. It was God's plan. Uh, Romans 2 is another, uh, another example of this. It says this in verse 16. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming. The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. That's a scary scripture right there, okay? <laughs> in other words, listen, God's going to do this no matter what. The time's already been set. The day is coming. There will come a moment no one can stop this. No one can change his plans. The providential will of God is there will come a day where every one of us, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. It doesn't matter if you're in San Francisco or if you're in Jakarta. Every knee will bow. Every world religion, every skin tone, every educational background, it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're white, you're black. Every one of us, there will come a day. It has been set by the providence of God that we will stand before him and we will give an account for not just our public life, our Insta Facebook life, <laughs> the image we project, no, 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 our secret life, our secret thoughts, our secret motives. There will come a day, no one can stop it. Um, it was the providential will of God for Christ to, or it's the providential will of God for Christ to return. He's coming back one day. No one can stop that. It was the providential will of God to raise up the nation of Israel as his chosen people. No one could change that. There are things that God is just going to do and they are not dependent upon your prayers or my prayers or our obedience. He's going to do these things no matter what. Now here's why this is important that we know this is that God uses men and women to accomplish his providential will. This is why it's important. Think about this. Mary, this is God. Mary, I'm going to, this is God speaking. Mary, I am going to send my son. No one can stop me. And I want to use you. That's the providential will of God. God uses men and women, just like you and I. Not just, listen, not just theologically trained men and women. Not just people with a great spiritual, you know, heritage. God uses anyone that will position themselves with a Yes. That's what God does. It's so important. What about this one? God says to Abraham, I, it was Abram at the time, I am going to raise up a chosen people to become a nation that I will bless the world through. No one can stop me. And I want to use you to be a part of it. See, it's so good when we realize this. It's important to know that this is how God works and to know the plans he has revealed through his word because he has some things that he's going to do no matter what. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, Jesus said. His, he says, I will. That's the providential will of God. He says, I will build my church and even hell itself cannot stop it. There's no agenda that can stop it. And the more that you and I know the providential will of God, we can position ourselves to be used by God and his agenda and what he's doing 
in the earth today. Here's the action step for this, though. The best way to know the providential will of God is to simply study the scriptures. Because you can look at what he's done before, and you, can, you, you, get, this, you get this crazy advantage to get to look and, and know exactly what he's going to do in the future. And the more familiar you are with that, you can actually align yourself with his will and he will use you and position you in such a place where he can use you to make a difference in that will and that plan for all of humanity. It's the providential will of God. Here's the second one, the moral will of God. Somebody say moral. moral. In our context here, we don't like to talk about that a lot, do we? Not in the liberal context that we live in. Morality, you're going to try to tell me that I can or cannot do this? Uh, that's the culture that we, the generation we live in now, where we bend God's word to fit our preference rather than building our preference to fit God's word. But the moral will of God refers to the do's and don'ts that God has already commanded in scripture. In other words, listen to this. You don't have to pray. And I I talked about this a little bit. I touched on it a little bit two weeks ago, but it made me feel spicy, so I want to touch on it again. (laughs) You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to lie in order to close this business deal? Right. God's word is already clear. His moral, his moral standard is already clear. Lord, should I sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend because we love each other? What's your will about that, Lord? We both know you never you never buy a car without trying it out first. Remember, you never buy a new never buy a new pair of shoes without trying them on first. Like, God, what's your will there? Is that your will? His word is clear. His moral will, it's lined out in scripture. It's so clear. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. God's, somebody say it with me, God's will is for you to be holy. It means set apart, consecrated, different. You know God's will is for you to be different from the culture that we live in here. God's will is for you not to, to act, think, talk, be like the culture. It doesn't mean that you, you point your finger in judgment towards your coworkers, but it means you just live different. You live holy. You don't have to be like, I'm holy, y'all. Look at me, I'm holy. I'm holy. You don't have to do it. You just live different and they go, something's different about him. Being holy is not about making people feel bad. It's about living your life in such a way that it reflects the character and conduct, conduct of Jesus. And if you ever notice, the people that were nothing like Jesus, the religious Pharisees, the people that were nothing like Jesus, they hated Jesus. But the people that were nothing like Jesus, right? The, the, the people that were like totally, totally just jacked up and screwed up and messed up from the prostitutes to the pimps to the tax collector. To, it's funny that those are in the same category, but uh, tax season's coming up, I'm just saying. There's grace for us all. But anyway, but the people that in in his day, the religious people that were supposedly the most like God, they were nothing like Jesus. But the people that were nothing like God, nothing like Jesus, they were attracted to Jesus. And he's the holiest man to ever walk the earth. None of them felt judged by him or felt bad. None of of that. They would come, they would come to him. They they wanted to be around him. They wanted to share a meal, a, a meal or supper or dinner with Jesus. Why? Because he was holy. You can be holy and be different, and you don't have to be judgmental towards people. But he says this, it's God's will for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. In other words, part of God's will for your life and my life is that we remain morally pure. We flee, we run away, it says in Corinthians, run away from sexual impurity and from youthful lust. First Peter 2 says this, for the Lord's sake, now this is interesting, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state, says, or the officials he has appointed. It is God's will 
that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people, (laughs) that's funny, those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. In other words, it's God's will for us to submit to the established government that we live under. Now, this is interesting. During tax season, you don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to tell the truth on these tax forms and declarations? Lord, you know I could give so much more to the kingdom. (laughs) The moral will of God has already been established is that God's will is for us to submit to the order of government. It means when you're riding on the road and you're like, I gotta get to work, I know it's 60, but Lord, you see my heart, grace and peace, and you drive 75. Listen, you know the moral will of God. Like it's not, God, I know it's your will for me to be at work on time. It's also his will for you to get your butt out of bed early, right, get dressed. Here's the thing. The providential will of God and the moral will of God, you know where it's found. If you want to know it, it's found in Scripture. It's, 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 it's all throughout Scripture. That's where we find that. We find the, the providential will and the moral will of God there in Scripture. But you and I, the thing that we're the most concerned with is, let's be, let's just, let's be real, is probably not so much the providential will of God. It's probably not so much even the moral will of God. We want to know the personal will of God. Like, we want to know, God, right now. I need to know right now. Like, I've got to figure out, like, am I going to take this job or should I wait for the, should I quit this job? Should I, should I marry this person? Should we have kids now or should we wait? So we want to know his personal will. And that's what you and I, that's, that's a place that we live in the most. We, we want to know, you know, should I buy this car or should I not? Should I take this job or should I not? Should I move to that city or should I not? Should I date this guy or should I not? Should I join this church or should I not? God's already spoken to me. You should, okay? But listen, <laughs> here's, here's, here's what we're wondering. God, what should I do? What should I do? Personal will is this. The personal will of God refers to the personal decisions and plans for your life. And that's what we are most concerned with. Um, I get more prayer requests as a pastor about this one question. God, what does God want me to do about this? This personal will. I get more questions and prayer requests. I mean, almost every Sunday, some, somebody comes to me and says, man, I got a big decision I need to make. I just need to know, what does God want me to do? Now, here's the thing, is, is that there's usually not a scripture that goes, like connects perfectly to that specific decision you have to make. Have you ever noticed that? And, and that's why it becomes so like gray and like, God, what do you want? But God, you need to know this. God, he does have a personal will for your life. He's concerned with his providential will. He's concerned with his moral will. But he actually, he actually wants to be a part of your life personally. And he has a plan for you. Let me just show you a few scriptures just to prove that I'm not crazy. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul says this, the apostle Paul, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother I can't say that name. That's a crazy name. We call him Saucy. Saucy. (laughs) But Paul says this about himself. In other words, Paul says, I am an apostle with a specific calling. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, but I'm I'm called. When you begin to look at the context here, he's saying, I'm called to be an apostle specifically to the Gentile brothers and sisters, to reach out to them. So he believed that there was a personal assignment that God had just for him. It was personal. It wasn't some general, it was a very specific and personal thing that he felt God was calling him to. There are so many scriptures I can show you specifically in the New Testament that God had a personal preference and will and desire for these individuals' lives. But here's one that's really crazy. First Peter chapter four, verse 19. This will wreck some of your, uh, 
your theologies here. It says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Some of you right now, you're just praying like, God, I pray that's not your will for my life. In other words, this verse is in the context of, of, uh, of people suffering for the, for the cause of Jesus, for the cause of the gospel. There are people around the world right now, and we live in the luxury of being able to come here, and we have mild persecutions in San Francisco, right? People are like, oh my gosh, you're a holy roller. In, in other countries, they will roll your head off your body, okay? I mean, it's like there's heavy persecution. People martyred for the gospel. But it's interesting that it says, he says this, it was God's will for these particular people to actually walk through suffering for the cause of the gospel. One of the biggest myths, or one of the biggest, I should say, lies that I've heard in church propagated is the safest place to be is in the middle of the will of God. Have you ever heard people say that? That's just not true. This is not true. For these particular people, God's will was that they'd actually walk through some suffering. Why? So that they could share in the sufferings of Christ, but also share in the glory of Christ. Be able to be a part of something. Um, Here's, here's why this is so important. You need to know this. this. This could be the summation of these three things. Here's why it's very important. The more familiar we are with God's providential will and the more, look at this, surrendered or obedient, whatever you want to put there, the more surrendered we are to God's moral will, the easier it will be to discover God's personal will for our lives. I know this to be true. There, there's a, I've used this illustration before. But it's, it's kind of interesting. I've done a little bit of construction, uh, more so giving vision for the work to be done, not actually doing it myself. Um, but I discovered this years ago when we were building a house. There's something called a, a plumb line or a plumb bob. Uh, I was going to bring one today, but I, I couldn't find it. Um, it's basically, it's, it looks like a weight, right? And it has a point on the end of it. Most of them do. And it's about this, this large and it, it weighs a, uh, probably a pound or so. And there's a string that's attached to it. And when construction, whenever builders, workers, specifically when they're doing masonry work, lining out brick or lining out forms like with two by fours and stuff like that, rather than them just making decisions like, oh, this looks right and starting to hammer stuff, they take this plumb bob and they, they will hang it at one point and they let the, the weight of the plumb bob draw the line down and it creates a straight line. And it becomes the standard by which they make every decision in building. And so whenever they're, they're about to lay a brick here, they look down at the plumb line that's been created by the weight of the plumb bob. And they see that this is out of alignment. It's infringing, it's going past the line that's been created, the standard that's been created. So then they, they begin to correct things and they look, and they watch this, they don't move the line to accommodate the brick. They move the brick to accommodate the line. God's word, his providential will of God, or the providential will, which is found in his word, and his moral will that's found in his word, that is the plumb bob. That is the weight, and it creates the line, the standard. And then when you and I make decisions, it gets a lot easier to make decisions when you go, okay, now I understand the way that God works. Now I understand his character. Now I understand what he's up to in the earth today. Now I know the things he wants me to do and not do. And now when I have to make a decision, I can refer to that as my point of reference. And if, it, if this decision crosses that line, it's out of alignment with God's will. If this decision is in line with his will, then it's a yes. If it's not, 
It's a no. Let me give this to you practically. I wrote this down as a little illustration for you. Here's a good example. Buying a house in San Francisco. <laughs> Watch this. I just, can I just read it the way I wrote it so I don't screw it up? Okay, listen. If an opportunity came up for Jennifer and I to buy a house in San Francisco, we're renters now. We don't own a house, but one day we have a vision. God's going to bless us with a house um, in Jesus' name. And you a house and us a house for our church. That's not prosperity gospel. That's desperation. God, please. 21 days of prayer. Please, Lord. Um, God, give us a church building in Jesus' name. There you go. Okay, here we go. But here's what I wrote down. An opportunity comes up for Jennifer and I to buy a house, okay? For me to buy this house, I would have to drain all of our savings and go on a strict budget and stop being generous to other people and push pause on giving through the local church to advance God's kingdom. We're gonna push pause on tithing, putting God first with our finances. This is only gonna be for three years. It's gonna be a sacrifice. It's only gonna be for three years. And then after three years, we'll unpause our generosity and we'll get back with the plan that uh, we initially had. Here, here's the thing, the decision's easy. No. You know why? Because we already know what God's up to in the earth today. He's advancing his kingdom. He's reaching out to those that are lost and broken and hurting. And he's looking for you and I to join him on that rescue mission and to align our lives, our finances, our time, our energy in that mission. And if I have to pull away from that mission to make my life more comfortable, the answer is a no. And I believe that when you, when you trust him in areas like that, guess what he ends up doing? I know he's gonna honor us for that. And in every area of your life, there's areas where, where if you just look and say, this decision does not align what, what I already know about God's character and God's preference in other areas. And if I'll just honor him here, he's going to take care of everything else. He's going to work these things out. Here, here's here's the, uh, the challenge. You know what the most challenging thing for you and I is? It's not hearing God's voice. The most challenging thing is not hearing his preference, his desire for our life. The challenge is this, is that most of us, we want to hear his voice. We want to know his will just for another option to consider. It's usually not for direction, it's for consideration. But that's just simply not how God works. It's just not how he works. The tendency is to pray and say, God, God, if you were me, what would you do in this situation? And we expect for God to go, you know, I think if I were you, I'd probably do this. That's just not how he speaks. God does not show us or reveal his will for our consideration, but for our participation. That is why he does this. And that's why in Proverbs 3, he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, all of it. Another translation says, trust the Lord completely, completely. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own opinion. With all of your heart, rely on him to guide you, the Passion Translation says. I love the, the, the New Living says to seek him for everything that you have, every decision you have to make, his will in all that you do. And he goes on and he says, and he will make your path straight. Now notice the, the sequence here. The promise is at the bottom of this verse. And he will show you what to do. And he will guide you. But look at what the setup is. For you to have God directing you and guiding you in that type of way, the setup is this, is you're, you're already trusting him with all your heart. In all your ways, you're already acknowledging him. The things you already know to do, you're doing that. 
You're already submitted and surrendered in those areas. And when we get to, to that place, we're like, God, I am living as best to my ability, surrendered in all these areas that I already know your will is in scripture. I'm surrendered in the area of my relationships or my sexuality or in my finances or in all these things. I'm already surrendered. I'm trusting you with all my heart. When we get to that place, God looks at that type of a person. He says, I already know their answer will be yes. Whatever I say, I'm gonna tell them what I want them to do. Here's, here's the big idea. If I were to sum this up in one statement, I think the statement would be this. Surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. Thomas Merton said this. He said, we receive enlightenment only in proportion as we give ourselves more and more completely to God by humble submission and love. We do not first see and then act. We act and then see. And that is why the man or woman who waits to see clearly before he or she will believe never start on the journey. In other words, if you're in this place where you're like, I'm just waiting until God tells me what to do before I do something. I'm just waiting for him to start showing me things. Listen, go ahead and be surrendered in the things you already know. The things he's already told you, if you will live surrendered and your answer is yes, God, before you even tell me what to do, before you tell me to take this job or to marry this person or to break up with this person or to do this or that, before I even ask you for direction there, I wanna make sure I'm surrendered in every known area of my life where you've already spoken, every area you've already gotta be. And when we get to the place where our heart is surrendered, this is the type of life that God speaks to. Surrender and obedience to the known will of God, those things that we already know, sets us up to discover the unknown will of God, those things that we need to know. Surrender takes trust, and that's why he starts there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Surrender takes trust. Look, this is so good. I love this. We will never discover until we obey. We will never obey until we surrender and we will never surrender until we trust. It all takes trust. My question is, do you really trust that God's will is better than yours? Do you really trust that his way is better than your way? Because if you don't trust that first, that's the starting point. If you don't trust that first, it's gonna be so hard for you to hear him speak and for you to follow him in obedience. It's surrender to the known will of God paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. I'll finish with this. Philip Yancey, I love Philip Yancey. He's a great author. You should read some of his books. You get a chance. But in one of his books that I read, he said this, I do not get to know God and then do his will. I get to know him more deeply by doing his will. What a great way to finish this collection about seeking God. If this year you want to know God more than you ever have before, my admonishment to you would be this. Be surrendered. And everything he's already told you to do, I'm telling you, that is the key to clarity to know his personal will for all the other things and all the other decisions you'll have to make is right now make a decision. God, are there any areas of my life that you've already spoken to me through your word? Are there any imperatives of scripture that are already lined out that I'm being disobedient or not being surrendered in? Areas that I'm not trusting you in? If it's your relationships, if it's with your finances, if it's with whatever it may be, is there any area where you're not surrendered right now? Because listen to me, God speaks to surrendered people. 
God speaks to surrendered people. My prayer for you and I as seekers, as we seek God this year, that we would live surrendered lives in every single area of our life. I, I've told you this story before, but, but I think it's so fitting for this. And, and I, I really felt like compelled to share this because this may be for someone here today. I was on a journey of forgiveness and, and grace towards my father. My father was a good man, but made a lot of bad decisions. He had a lot of pain in his own life that he never dealt with and from his childhood. And what I've discovered is that whatever pain you don't deal with eventually would deal with you. You, you gotta settle it, you gotta deal with it. That's why small groups are so important that we're starting next week. Part of the reason why we do small groups is because we want people to, to build relationships with other people and to feel comfortable enough to get to the place where they trust the people in that room, that space, where they'll do this. They'll do what you'd never do on a Sunday morning, right? You'll take off the mask. Because, you know, today we get to see the best version of you, right? That's, how, that's what we do, right? We show up to church like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> Forget not his benefits. And on the inside, we're smiling. We've painted a smile on our face, but on the inside, we're dealing with shame. We're dealing with guilt. We're dealing with regret, bad decisions. We're walking through an addiction. But we can put on a front in front of other people, can't we? We're great at that. We like to wear a mask. But small groups are powerful because you get in a small group and at some point you find out, man, these people are just like me. <laughs> Another way to say it, these people are just as screwed up as I am. How many of you think that you go to a church say like, we can be, just be real? Like, we're not a church of perfect people. This is not a museum for perfect people. It's a hospital for broken people. And some of us just got here before others, right? So we've been worked on. But you get in a small group, you take off that mask and uh, you can begin to share, this is what I'm really walking through and dealing with. And it's in that place where you'll start to find freedom. You'll start to find healing. And for me, with, with my dad, I started dealing with all this bitterness and resentment and all those things. And I realized that the, the person I resent, I'll one day resemble if I don't deal with this. And I was reading my Bible and one, one, one flight, I was coming back to the States. I think I was flying back from India or Peru. And uh, I read Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 says to forgive just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And the word just as jumped off the page at me. Forgive just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Up until that point, I had told myself, I'll forgive just as long as I don't have to ever see my father again. I'll forgive just as long as he has to feel the pain of silent treatment. I'll forgive just as... And I had created my own point of reference. So the reason I could not forgive my dad is that my point of reference was what my earthly father had done. But the scripture says, forgive just as your heavenly father has done. I read that scripture and I felt like the Lord said, now you know my will. My will is this. You've been wondering what my will is about reconciling with your dad. Here's my will. My will is that you show your father grace and that you forgive your father. And for the next, I don't know how long it was, months, maybe even years, I, I did not act, I did not surrender in that area. And you know what happened? God's voice went from being crystal clear in my life and loud in my life, not an audible voice, but just, I knew it was God speaking to me. But because I was not surrendered in that known will of God, his voice became more and more distant from me. 
And finally, I, I, I had enough of it. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I finally got to rock bottom, feeling like God was so absent from my life. And I was like, fine, God, I'll do it. And I surrendered to the known will of God. I set up a meeting with my dad. I reconciled with him. We had a great conversation. But do you know, whenever I looked at him, God told me exactly what to say to my dad. Forgiveness is simply canceling a debt. It means you don't owe me anymore. See, because when somebody's hurt you, you feel like they've accrued a debt. Like now they owe you and that's why, you're, that's why it's called payback. So the Holy Spirit kind of impressed on me. I wrote it in my journal. Look at my dad in his eyes and tell him, say, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. I looked at my dad, a man who had caused a lot of pain in our family. But I looked at him and I said, dad, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. Surrendered. And it was like a glass ceiling shattered over me. And I began to hear God's voice so clear again. Why? Because it's surrendered to the known will of God. It paves a way to discover the unknown will of God. Amen. Come on, why don't you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. And God, I just thank you that you desire to be a part of our life. Every detail, as it says in Proverbs, you want to guide us, you want to direct us. But God, you want to be involved in our lives to guide and direct us, not because you want to control us, but because you want to bless us. You want, to, you want us to live the life we deeply desire to live. You want us to live the life we've always dreamed of. You want us to live the John 10, 10 abundant life, just overflowing. That's why you want to speak. That's why you want to be our good shepherd to lead us beside peaceful streams to prepare a table for us in the presence of even our enemies, to restore our soul. That's why you want to lead us. That's why you want to reveal your will and your way because it's just much better. Not our will, but your will be done. Not our way, but your way be done in our life. Lord, I pray for people today that I just, I just know this. This is the way you work. You're speaking to people right now. You've been doing it all service about some specific areas in their life where they haven't been surrendered. Give them the strength and the courage and the grace to surrender. The strength and surrender. God, for those of us that are in here today, that God, there's areas where we know your will. We just, we just haven't been walking in it. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need that. To convict us and to bring us back to that place of being fully surrendered to you surrendering every area of our life. God, help us to get back to that place. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.